may be seated. Thanks, Ellen. I love hearing you guys sing. Um, and I love that the windows are open this morning and uh, just kind of ringing out into the neighborhood. I think that's a good thing. It's been a long time since that's happened in this building. So um, really grateful to God for what he's doing and uh, grateful for the folks that came to membership yesterday. We had a great time. They listened to me drone on for like four hours straight. Um, but we had a lot of good discussion as well and uh, just talked about what it means to be a church and be on mission together as a family. And uh, we're doing that again on Sunday, so a week from today, right after the, ch- uh, the church service. And uh, so if, if you want to uh, come to membership class, consider membership in this church next Sunday. It'd be a great time to do that. We'll feed you. And uh, we'll go till about, what did I say, 3.30, I think. So uh, it'll, be, it'll be a good time. So we're continuing on, working our way through the Apostles' Creed. We started yesterday, or last week, um, looking at the first phrase, I believe in God. And uh, we said that, this, that statement is a pretty profound statement, that there is a God, and uh, that He is a God we should believe in. And I tried to fill that word believe up with Christian meaning, biblical meaning, uh, because it can mean a lot of things in our culture. You can say, I believe in UFOs, or I believe that the... You know, Longhorns are going to win the Big 12, and after last, you know, last game, probably not. But um, that, that's a, one kind of way to use that word. But uh, what we said last week is it's more like believing in a person. Uh, you're choosing to rely upon, to trust in God. And, and so um, we, we started with that um, set of truth. And um, this morning we want to talk about the next part of the phrase. So... It's like when it says, I believe in God, it, it sort of begs the question, like, who is this God? And the rest of the creed answers that. And so we're just going to pull the curtain back just, just, just a hair, just a little bit, and see the next phrase, which is that he is the Father. Right? And so just, just that, again, pretty profound. The, the God, the Father, um, that could be really good news. Could be. We know that good earthly fathers care for, protect, instruct, provide for. And so if God is that kind of father, then this is really good. This is really good good news. But not all earthly fathers are good fathers. So we have to ask ourselves, is, is God a good father? Right, we just sang that, so you probably, you know, spoiler alert, uh, he is a good father. But we want to look at what kind of father is he and how might I become his child? So what kind of father is he and how might I become his child? That's really the point, two points of the sermon this morning. And so is God um, a good father? How do I become a child? So again, I'm going to read a portion of what you just heard Ellen read just to get it kind of reverberating in us because it's a hard passage. And, uh, and I chose this passage. I was like, okay, Galatians, that's a good passage. And then I started reading it this week, and I'm like, what have I done to myself? I've got to tease all this out. So uh, Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So he's talking to the Christians, talking to the Galatian Christians. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So he uses this word heirs, right? That you're going to get an inheritance. And that gets the Apostle Paul thinking about, oh, I should talk about heirs. <laughs> so in chapter 4, he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So, how does God become our father? Short answer, we get adopted. We get adopted. That's how he becomes our father. Uh, adoption is one of the greatest gifts anyone could receive. Uh, and this is true in this day and age. It's true in the first century when the book of Galatians was written. Uh, being adopted means you who had no parents now have parents. Being adopted means you who had no family now have a family. It uh, means that you who had no consistent person or group of people looking out for you now have someone consistently looking out for you. You who had no certain future now have a certain future. And honestly, those concrete benefits are pretty awesome, but I don't even think they match the gift of having a new identity. And I don't know if you've noticed, but having an identity is a big deal. And it's a big deal in our culture. There's a lot of talk about identifying as blank. And so we're all crying out for some kind of an identity. And not only do we want to know that identity, but we want to see, have others perceive us according to that identity. Now, in the, the first century, this idea of identity was very, very important, but it was different. It was not individual like it is in modern-day culture. It was more communal. It was more familial. And so you knew who you were based on your family name. And attached to that name was a title and land and perhaps some fortune. And if you didn't have an heir, a male heir in that day and age, to pass on your family name, title, land, fortune, you would adopt. And that was the only reason, honestly, in the first century, that in the Roman Empire especially, you would quote-unquote adopt. is because you didn't have a male heir who would carry your name and your fortune and your land to the next generation. And so when the Apostle Paul is talking about inheritance and being an heir, and he's talking, that, talking about that at the same time he's talking about adoption, this is what is in his mind. It's, it's not like what we think of, like, oh, cute baby, want to adopt, and, which is awesome, right? But it, there, there's a context um, to this. Imagine you're cruising down South Congress, you see Elon Musk, and he's like, 
hey, I'd like to adopt you. And so, you know, Jocelyn's cruising down South Congress, and he's, he's like, look, here's the paperwork. You see that? It says Jocelyn Musk. It's already in, in the legal paperwork. All you need to do is accept what I'm offering you. And if you do, you'll have a slice of two, two, 218 billion, I think. Stocks are a little down right now. Economies, it's rough over at the Musk house. Um, and you would also be child number 11. This guy has 10 children from multiple women. I don't know. Weird stuff going on over there. Um, but this passage seems to be describing something like this where it's like, this is already on the paperwork. And for you to, to get this, now you need to be adopted. This is when we're hearing like verses one and two. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And the date set is this, the, the date of adoption, right? And so it's a little bit like a, a trust fund that's set up for a child who's not yet adopted. And then when that child's adopted, they become an heir of that fortune. Paul writes something similar in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Even as uh, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that he would be holy, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So do you see that? He's like chosen, predestined. The paperwork is already put together. And now adoption is what is going to bring that into reality. Now before we were adopted, we were, what, from the text? A little quiz here. Were we just orphans? Slaves. We weren't just orphans in an orphanage. We weren't just like in a so-so family and we want to get in a better family. We were slaves. Um, Slaves have no freedom. They have no predictability regarding what's going to happen next. Uh, Slaves don't decide anything for themselves. They're at the mercy of their master. Bad master, good master, just depends on the master, right? It's the worst example of an abusive relationship. The worst. The person is completely out of any kind of a self-determination. It's not at all like being a child. There is no love, there is no security, there is no predictability. The relationship is purely transactional. You are a means to an end. And if you do what's being asked of you, it is possible you'll be treated right, but it's possible you still be treated wrong. This is the description of the pre-Jesus person, the pre-Christian, is being a slave. And he says, slaves to the elementary principles of the world. What's he talking about there? Elementary principles... um, Usually that word that's being translated elementary principles is like some kind of intellectual or a religious system. And so it's an enslavement to a system, right? You're a cog in the machine. Um, You know, Pink Floyd says, all in all, you're just a brick in the wall, right? 
Don't know Pink Floyd? Okay, never mind. Right? But it's a deeper enslavement than even that. Um, the Apostle Paul uses slavery a lot. Uh, Romans 6, 17, he says, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves to, of sin. You have now become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. In Titus 3, 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So he's describing the before Jesus situation that we found ourselves in. Not just slaves to the system, but slaves to sin, slaves to corrupt uh, desires. And you may hear that and go, wait a minute, I'm not a slave. I'm not a slave to sin. And the Apostle Paul lets us know what reveals to us that we are, right? And what reveals to us that we are is the law, right? Galatians 3, 23. I know I'm jumping back and forth. This is the only way I know how to untangle this passage. Galatians 3, 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. So now he's saying we're, we're enslaved under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So he's saying... The way you know that you're enslaved by sin is that the law is given to you so you realize that you are not measuring up to the holy standard of God. And so you may may compare yourself to other humans and say, oh yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not a slave. And then you get, you know, the lens of the law and you go, whoa, like a new pair of glasses. It's so clear that I am enslaved to sin. Um, when, you know, I'm in our bathroom and I don't have my glasses on, the bathroom seems clean, right? Just seems clean. And uh, I don't realize that there's hair on the, on the counter and on, on the floor and, I, you know, that there's a little mold in the corner, you know, of the, sh- of the shower. But if I put my glasses on and I go in there, I go, oh, my God. <laughs> this is really dirty in here. We need to clean this up, right? The law is like that. Without the law, you have a sense that you're not measuring up, right? We all have like a conscience, and we all have a standard, and we can't even meet our own standard. You notice that? You start talking trash about somebody, like, I just cannot believe that person did that, said that. The next week, you do the exact same thing, right? But then you put the glasses of the law on, and then you realize, I am enslaved to sin. I have desires there are sinful desires that are bubbling up in attitudes and actions and words, right? And, and this is who we were. This was not just something we did. It was our identity as a slave to these things. Now, the remedy is not a self-improvement plan. The remedy is not, you know what? Try harder. Let's get up at 5 a.m. and let's tell ourselves, look ourselves in the mirror and say, you can do it. That's not, that's not the remedy. The remedy is adoption. That's the remedy. We, we need a, a complete 
identity change. And we in and of ourselves, we cannot change our identity. But God can. He can change our identity. He can make us a son. Now, it uses son, right? That also means the women in the room. But in the first century, the heir was the son. And so this is why it's even important to keep that, na- that word in there, in the translation, so that we understand the biblical context of what's being talked about there. Uh, now, this adoption came at no small expense to God the Father. And, and Paul speaks of that in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This wasn't just like God the Father's like, wave the magic wand, my commands don't matter, you don't have to be holy, who cares, I'm just going to make you my sons and daughters. He had to pay a price, and that price was the sending of his one and only son, And this is, first and foremost, why God the Father is God the Father is because he's in relationship to God the Son in the Trinity. And then, after that, then he adopts more sons and daughters and continues to live out that fatherhood in our lives. And for this father to send his son... Now, look at how it's described. The father sends the son, so... The, 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 the son is taking the directive from the father and saying, yes, I will do it. I'm going to do it. Now, he wanted to do it. Their wills are parallel. It wasn't like he was like, oh, dad, come on. He wanted the same thing, all right? But God, the father, sends him. He's born of a woman, meaning he had a truly human nature. He took on a human nature, on, and, and it was added to his divine nature, right? But not only that, he then lived under the law. So when you take the, the perfect you know, spectacles of the law and you look at Jesus' life, perfect. Perfect. Absolutely holy. Absolutely clean. And he lived as a human under that law. Now, why did he have to do that? He had to do that in order to qualify for redeeming us, right? He says he uh, redeemed those who were under the law. So he went under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law. That's me and you. And redemption is the act of paying a price to release a slave. That's what redemption means. Uh, Henry Ward Beecher was a pastor in Brooklyn in the late 1800s, or mid-1800s, would do fundraisers on Sunday evening at church. And it wasn't for the teens to go to youth camp. It was to buy slaves out of slavery. And so he would have a, have a fundraiser, and he would say, hey, we're going to buy this, this image bearer of God. We're, we're, we're going to buy them out of slavery, and you're going to give a whole bunch of money so we can do it. Right? This is what God did for us. It cost a lot more than a few hundred bucks. We were in slavery. We needed to be bought out. And 
God the Father bought us out. He redeemed us by sending his son to die in our place. This is your father. This is God the Father. This is the kind of father that he is that would do this in order to adopt us. But not only does he send his son, he sends the spirit. So Galatians 4 6 says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And so immediately, as as we are being brought into adoption, the generous father is giving his his gifts, his inheritance. And he gives God the spirit. And, and, and we're told that he's given God the Spirit to dwell in our hearts, right? Now, heart is a biblical term that means your inmost place, like you, the center of who you are. It's the place from which your thoughts spring. It's the place from which your decisions spring, even your feelings. Sometimes I would say your mind, will, and emotions are originating in the heart, the thoughts you think, the feelings you feel, the decisions you make, they're coming from this inmost place. And this text is telling us when you become a Christian, you're adopted and the Spirit of God goes to dwell in that inmost place. That's the goodness of the Father. And, and what is He there to do? He's there, it says He sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying Abba, Father, which is like crying Daddy. It's an intimate term. If you've ever been around little, little kids that are in a Jewish family, you'll often hear them saying, Abba, 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 talking to their dads. And so this, this is what's being described here in the power of the Spirit, crying out, Abba, Abba. Not only that, the Spirit is reminding us that that is truly our relationship with the Father. This is in Romans 8, and uh, it's one of my favorite verses in the book of Romans. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery, there's that slavery picture again, to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, it's the same, same teaching. Um, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So the Holy Spirit residing in our inmost place, one of His job descriptions is keep telling them they're my kids. Keep telling them they're my kids. Because we forget. When a baby is first born, they lack what's called object permanence. If you've ever studied Piaget, you know what I'm talking about. So object permanence is when an object comes into the room or a person comes into the room, they exist for the baby. But between like zero and like eight months, when that person or that object leaves the room, that object no longer exists to that baby. They think, well, mom and dad exist. They leave the room, mom and dad don't exist. But at month eight, around month eight, when mom and dad come in the room and then leave the room, they realize mom and dad are out there in that other room. They, are, they, 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 they continue to exist. 
and they're probably eating chocolate cake or something that I can't see. And that baby starts screaming its head off. Right? And so we're a little bit like this. Right? We, we come to know the father. We know we're his child. And then some hard things happen. And we start to think, no, daddy has left. Daddy must not be here with me anymore. Dad, dad, daddy must not care about me anymore. And the Holy Spirit is there to remind us, no, 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 no. You are his child. You are his child. You are his child. This is how much God the Father loves you. <laughs> He's given you His Son to redeem you. He's given the Spirit to dwell in you and to remind you who you are. Um, if, if that wasn't enough, look at what Ephesians 1, we actually looked at this on Wednesday, says about the, the dwelling, indwelling of the Spirit. It says, uh, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So he speaks of the, the work of the Son again, this gospel that you believed on, and then you became a Christian, and then you're given the Spirit, and then he says, this Spirit is a, it's a guarantee, or literally like this, this, is a, this is earnest money on your inheritance. So if you were going to buy a house and you wanted to seal that house, the deal, seal the deal on that house, oftentimes you would give a non-refundable payment. That non-refundable payment would be called earnest money. It's saying, I'm very earnestly uh, committed to this purchase. And if you back out, you lose the money. Right? This is what's being described here with the Holy Spirit. This dwelling, indwelling of the Holy Spirit is earnest money, down payment, that the future inheritance that you're going to be given is 100% guaranteed. This is how much God the Father loves his children right? and does that through the work of the Son and through the work of the Spirit. This is the kind of Father that's in the creed. This is, this is the, the Father that will be declaring here in a minute when we say this creed. Now, the experience of our earthly fathers affects our understanding of the heavenly father. Um, when you think about sort of categories of relationships, this is oversimplification, but one of the ways you can think about it is relationships where people are turning away from you or they're turning against you or they're turning towards you. If they turn, you may have a father who turned away from you and you experienced withdrawal or apathy or neglect or abandonment. Or it could be a father that turned against you, which could be anger or harsh criticism. Uh, or you could have a father that turned towards you with words of encouragement, words of instruction, affection, delight. Right? And that helps you relate to the father. <laughs> in a healthy way. The men in, in my family, uh, especially on my, my father's side, uh, tend to be relationships of turning away, right? And I have this very vivid memory. I'm in college. Um, my grandfather is, is about to pass away. Call the family together. We're in the, the room. The, the, you know, he's on his deathbed, literally. Um, and we are talking to him 
and he is crying, and he is saying to every person in the room personally, I love you. I love you. I had never seen my grandfather cry. I never seen him say, I love you, ever, until that moment. And it was weird. I was like, oh, this is uncomfortable. What? What are you doing, grandfather? You know? It just was weird. And I think for some of us, this is, this is how it is for us. We read scriptures about God's love for us and that he lavishes that love on us. And, 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 and that we think, I, I don't, that's weird. I, I just don't think that God could be that way. He must be a turn away God or he must be a turn against God. No. He's a turn toward God. He's a turn toward God. He turns toward you. And he loves you. And he instructs you. And yes, he disciplines. Absolutely. That's part of love. And has a great affection for you. And he delights in you. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of God that the Father is. And you say, prove it. Like, that sounds good, Robert. I need some proof. The proof is the cross. The proof is the cross. Listen to this from 1 John 4. In this, the love of God, that's God the Father, was made manifest among us, that God, that's God the Father, sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the proof. That's the proof. We don't, we don't need to doubt it. This is the proof. Or maybe a shorter verse, John three sixteen. For God, that's God the Father, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This came from his, his love. He said, well, how do I access this adoption? I'm ready to sign the paper. <laughs> you, know? you believe. You believe. John 1, another favorite verse, 12, 13. Um, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, it's talking about Jesus. Right? Receive Jesus, believe in Jesus' name, and if you do that, he gave the right to become children of God. That's the Father. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. New identity, new family, adopted by the grace of God the Father, given to us through the work of of God the Son, and made apparent to us, made real to us on a regular basis by God the Spirit. This is the God of the creed. This is the God of the creed. And so if you've not yet trusted in, relied upon Christ and what Christ has done to pay the adoption price, do that this morning. Trust in rely upon this adoption price that's been paid. And through that belief, God accepts you into his family as a son, as a daughter.
Now, for others of us, we've accessed this adoption through faith. And we need a reminder. We need a reminder. So here's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit, the primary way that the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit and reminds us that we are the children of God is through the Word of God. This, this is His primary way of doing this. So this is my hope, is that as we've kind of untangled this crazy Galatians uh, verse, verses that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your spirit if you're already a Christian and is reminding you, you're adopted. You're adopted. And, and this is by grace. It's through faith. This is your identity. You're no longer a slave. You've now been ushered into an adoption as sons and as daughters. Sometimes this is the application to a sermon, is, is just thinking rightly about God, of recognizing perhaps things that you believed about God. Maybe you got that from uh, your, your earthly father or other men that have been in your life, and, and you need to recognize that and then replace it with what is actually true about God the Father, and just let that set you free, set you free. Because he loves you. He has lavished his love on you. And he's proven it at the cross of Christ. So if you're comfortable professing that this morning, we're going to profess that by saying the creed. So if you'd stand and uh, let's do it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ. His only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. We are in awe of you. God the Father, who has sent God the Son to redeem us out of slavery and usher us into a new life as the adopted sons and daughters, and to be reminded of that by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, thank you, thank you, thank you that you are that kind of good, good Father. More than anything that, that, that our minds can even wrap around and that it will take an eternity to plunge the depths of these realities. Lord, would you uh, help our hearts not just our minds, but our hearts to receive this truth this morning, perhaps for the first time and also in a fresh way. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.